Do you remember the ancient Greek tale of the boy who cried wolf? A young boy wants to be a hero and not a boring shepherd, so he cries that the wolf has attacked the village herd of sheep. Unfortunately, when he untruthfully has pulled this prank twice, the third time, when it's actually true, the villagers don't believe him anymore and he's eaten alive. So, this is what happens if you lie one time too often. And this playing with what's true and what's not, when the audience is purposefully put on the wrong foot, is the core of the research of the maker for this week, Harvey Cobb. As an artist, as you go on stage, you have immediate power. People immediately believe what you say on stage, no matter whether it's true or not. But this also comes with a responsibility because one untruthful thing too many and you lose your credibility. What happens with Harvey this week? And what happens with his audience? Do they believe him? Do they feel played? Do they like to feel played? I made a mess of the stage so I finished it and then I needed to clean the stage. And I couldn't I couldn't convince the audience that I was done. And I was really like, no, no, really, I'm I'm done. I'm just cleaning up now because I've made a mess. This isn't part of it. And they were all like, hey, nice. This is episode four of the second season of Circus Whispers, a podcast by Tent House for Contemporary Circus, hosted by me, Maike van Langen. Each episode, I interview circus makers who get the opportunity in the Maker for a Week program of Tent to do circus research. This week, Makers for a Week is Harvey Cobb from the UK. In his own words, sort of a comedian, kind of a juggler. Just after the recording of this episode, Harvey was rewarded with the B&G Bank Circus Prize with his act Something About Pink, a piece revolving around comedy and pink rubber boots as juggling props. It's an annual prize for the biggest circus talent of the year. In the words of the jury, With his comical timing and skills in object manipulation, Harvey Cobb shows he's a multi-talented artist. Harvey is a performer in heart and soul, and he shows he's truly ready for the professional world. End quote. Talking about the professional world, Harvey graduated last June at Kodat's Circus Arts in Rotterdam. And a couple of months later, he's working on his first show, Pink Boots and an Alcoholic Sock Puppet, and using the Maker for a Week residency to research material for it. Before we go back to Harvey, it's good to hear why Tent House for Contemporary Circus organizes the Maker for a Week program. I asked Rosa Bone, one of the directors of Tent, about it and why she chose Harvey as Maker for a Week. We started Maker for a week because we like to stimulate and support makers with a fascination for research and authenticity. So that means that we um, would like the makers to meet the conditions of artistic sensibility, technic ability and a strong drive. And because we really believe that this research is the basis of new of a new uh, idiom or a new language uh, we really want to make 
space for this research and we can only do this by offering time, money and space. What really excited me was that his research is really based on using his audience as a kind of a mirror for what he does. So he's really looking for uh, a way to confuse his audience in the sense of um, uh, expectations. And he wants to see how he can surprise his audience by putting them, setting them on the wrong foot so that they think they might see uh, stand-up comedy, but they actually see circus or the other way around. How would you describe Harvey? I would describe Harvey as a very smart, talented uh, and bubbly personality. What does he look like? He has a nice curly brown hair. He is not too tall. Sorry, Harvey. Uh, <laughs> but he, he, I think average length. What is intriguing in looking at him is he is always has a friendly look on his face he's accessible straight away you feel that he is somebody who can challenge um, existing norms or um, he has this kind of a t twinkle in his eyes that you see that he's he's up for some fun in life i also asked harvey to describe himself which proved to be harder than i thought okay I'm going to try and do this without being ironic. I'm going to really try to not make a, a joke. Hi, my name's Harvey. I am 23 years and four months old. I enjoy cinema and I enjoy playing chess and I enjoy going bouldering and I think I am uh, very lazy and I think I value um, kindness oh. and I um, I think firstly I value people being uh, funny and having a laugh even in the darkest of times thanks oh that was hard Let's start at the beginning. When and why did you start juggling? I'm not sure how old though. I was very young. I think I was maybe about eight or maybe seven even. I I grew up in like a, like a small industrial town in the northeast of England. And I told my mum once that I wanted to learn to juggle on a unicycle. I think I probably like watched The Simpsons and saw Crossy the Crown or something like this. And my mum was like super supportive and she was like, okay. And I don't know how to do that, but it just happened that this tiny town had like the biggest unicycling club in the in the UK. So then actually the first thing I went, I went to this and I learned how to unicycle. That was the first thing I did in circus wise. And then later I learned how to juggle. And what is he now? A comedian? A juggler? Or something entirely different? This is a, always a hard question for me. On my business card, it says sort of a comedian, kind of a juggler. When did you start being funny on stage, like being funny on purpose on a stage? Pretty much, pretty much straight away, I think. I think I started circus performing when I was super young. I think I like started street performing when I was 10, I reckon. And I think already then... 
it was I, it was my goal to be funny. The people I looked up to were always being funny. I mean, I think on the street more you more you have to be funny. Every every now and then I would make a serious piece, but more to sort of prove to the people who think I couldn't do it that I could do it. And then I would go back to being funny. I think I always preferred it. I always uh I was always drawn to it. But you also say you're kind of a juggler. Why are you kind of a juggler? No, so I'm from, I just graduated um, Code Arts, a circus school in Rotterdam. And I entered there as a juggler and I was a, I was a club juggler. And I was a club juggler next to um, two other jugglers, one of which was a club juggler, Betis van Barkel, who was on the last pod, who is an amazing club juggler and his technical level is incredible. And so next to him, I'm not a juggler. I'm, I'm, you know. So I was very lucky when I found, I think, a different prop. And can you tell me a bit more about the origin stories of the pink rain boots? Yes. Uh, the so the the way the rain boots came about is my juggling teacher at Code Arts, Gregor Keok, is um. How do I say this kindly? He's old. No, he's old school. He's not old. He's old school. He's a, he's like a traditional juggler. I used to be a club juggler and I did a lot of foot catches and for the listeners who aren't jugglers are foot catches where you, a juggling trick where you catch something on your foot He's, he really told me one class he was like Harvey you must decide what shoe you're going to wear on stage so you can train in that shoe because you know if you perform in a different shoe then it's it's different And I said, yeah, no problem. I'm gonna, I'm gonna perform barefoot. And he said, what? He said, you can't perform barefoot. And I said, what are you talking about? And he says, no, to perform barefoot. He said, it's disrespectful to the audience. He said, it's unprofessional. And I was like, that makes no sense. So the next class, I was like, okay, I found my shoe. So I come in with some rain boots. More is just like a fuck you to anything else. And then we uh, have a little giggle. And then we're like, well, actually... We might be onto something here. And then I was sort of in a bit of a, didn't know what to do with my artistic endeavors, let's say. So I had a bit of a panic and just ordered like, I think 10 pairs of pink boots. And the rest is history. <laughs> what makes them so suitable to, um, to juggle? Um, no, no, nothing. They're horrible to juggle. They're heavy, they're floppy, they're inconsistent, they change over time. They're not good juggling props at all. Like, they're, they're not. But what, what, I like them. Well, I like them because no one else is doing it. So that's, that's a plus. I'm by default the best pink boot juggler in the world. Let's dive into the research and this preparation of Harvey's work in progress. Let's start with his intriguing title and how he likes to work. The title of the piece is Pink Boots and an Alcoholic Sock Puppet. That, that, is that title just because I, I like it? I think that's a funny thing to say. It's not, I think some people are wondering if I'm the alcoholic sock puppet or is, if it's like meant to be a two-man show and it's me and it's not. I just like those words next to each other. I think how I really like to work is just by um, putting my ideas in front of an audience as quickly as possible to sort of test things out and see what works and what, what not. And now I'm sort of spending quite a lot of time in studios trying to make things, which is weird and 
sometimes it's hard i've i've like i've gotten some tips to just perform for a phone or for or for whatever the sock puppet perhaps just to try and and try and create this because i think for me i think all a lot of the best moments or material come on stage and there's a think like there's a magic part of the brain that turns on when you're performing i think i'm trying to turn that on without the audience but it just doesn't work to a certain degree for me what happens is i get an idea in my head and as soon as that idea is there the show in my head exists almost completely and then most of my time is spent i think trying to trying to recreate what's in my head in the physical world and this of course isn't possible because the version of the show that exists in my head is funny and it's clever and it's sexy and it's genius and usually when i recreate it in the physical space it's fine but i think this is my my biggest creative problem For any theatre piece or circus piece, you basically need three elements. A performer, a space, and an audience. I truly understand why creating a piece without having an audience present is a very hard task indeed. And so, for Harvey's creative problem, I'd like to share a comforting thought I took from an interview I did with Benjamin Kuitenbrauer, a.k.a. Monkey, dense housemaker, he argues that the act of doing it, making something in itself, is already a lot. To me, one of the pitfalls is it's the idea of, of doing it doing it right. I recognize this idea of like you're getting a space, you're getting an opportunity, you want to show also that you're worthy of the opportunity, that you're that you're grateful for the opportunity. And so you're trying to want to do it right. And, and that means trying to do it so that the others are either proud or, or recognizing of how you do it, or, uh, or at least they, they respect you for it. And, uh, and I think all of those things somehow take you away from, from doing how, how you want to do it. Uh, so I think, yeah, for me, uh, one of the biggest pitfalls is, is, is trying, to, trying to do it as you think it should be done, rather than sort of staying to, to the way you need to do it. Let's go back to the audience. Would it help, I wondered, if Harvey would have an audience member present at all times? I, th I think one audience member is the worst amount of audience to have. I think a lot of people are scared to perform in front of, I don't know, 2,000 people or whatever. I'm terrified to perform in front of one person. Because if you're performing in front of a lot of people, someone's going to like it. And then it's you're in such a big room that people want to like it. And then if someone laughs, that trickles and it spreads... But if you're performing just to one person, you're, if they don't like it, you're, you're fucked. It's horrible. Do you test out things on the streets? Uh, I don't. I wish I did. I think street performing is one of the best things you can do to get really good at performing. And I think it's also how I learned to perform. When I was young, I did it a lot. But I'm just terrified, Micah. I'm terrified of going back to the streets. It's horrible. I mean, it's very, it's, you know, if people don't like it, they just walk away. There's there's absolutely no obligation for anyone to say or respect anything. My ideal situation is the audience, they can't leave. 
and they're un- and they're in an environment where they where they <laughs> where they feel like they have to like it. This brings me to the research question. He wants to research with an audience in what's scripted and what's not. But sometimes reality bites you back, right? When I talk about stuff happening on stage, I think a lot of the times uh, something just happens on stage and it's a real failure. And then I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. Let's put that in. Like my entire graduation act, the first time I did this, it was completely true. Like I, I, I messed up in the way I now purposely mess up. And sometimes I'm, and sometimes I mess up this. So it often gets more and more layers. Usually, I think, especially when I'm making a longer show, because a lot of my work, it's very chaotic, I think, and a lot of the things don't seem to have a link. Or perhaps it's it seems like it's an accident. But then later, it's like uh, you realize it was it was all part of the plan or whatever. The problem I have is that because I work like this, it's it's really difficult to convince people who know my work when something's actually not meant to be there. Like I showed a working progress recently and I I made a mess of the stage so I finished it and then I needed to clean the stage. And I couldn't I couldn't convince the audience that I was done. And I was really like, no, no, really, I'm I'm done. I'm just cleaning up now because I've made a mess. This isn't part of it. And they're all like, hey, nice. And I'm like, no, 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 like, really? Like you can stop it. This isn't this isn't part of it, and they were all like, "Oh, this is very meta." <laughs> yeah. I think people really like to be tricked. I think that's a thing, actually. It's why people like magic or whatever. I think people they really like to be tricked, and then they like to see it again because then they feel smart. I mean, I think the audience have a very important role in every piece. And I realize my relationship with the audience is something that is very influential on what I'm doing. I'm very wary that a lot of the time audience participation is done in a way that makes people uncomfortable and makes them feel unsafe and unhappy. And I really don't want to do this. I want my audience to feel safe and and happy and that they're not going to be abused. For me, it's way more interesting and way more exciting to yeah to use a real audience and of course with that comes a great deal of risk on stage you have something that's called a stage persona i asked harvey to describe his stage persona okay well his name his name is harvey he has the same name as me i think he's incredibly insecure and i think he's he's trying desperately to uh to please the audience um i also think he he wants to be to a certain degree i think he wants to be like worshipped as as like a maybe like a prodigy to a certain extent but is also sort of sort of a he i think deep down he's aware that um that what he's doing is is bullshit that what he's doing is nonsense but then and to a certain degree that it, that's not that far away from me i uh, there's i think with a little bit less ego oh, i i i really hope with a with a with a less less ego and how does he see the future 
What are his goals in the next year or 20 years from now? Recently, I, I, my friend made me sit down and sort of write down life goals. And what I realized is um, a lot of the ideas I have, they're not necessarily confined to a single art form. Like I have an idea for an album I'd really like to make, even though I'm not actually that musical. Uh, I, I have an idea for a book I'd like to write. I have an idea for a festival I'd like to make happen. And these are all things I think that are quite far, quite far down the way. But I realized that I, I'm maybe in maybe in 20 years' time, my business says uh, definitely a comedian, sort of a musician, <laughs> or like almost a writer. What's the best of being sort of a comedian, kind of a juggler? The best. Um, I really like performing. I really like it a lot. I think that's why I, why I do this. I think I I think I realized recently a lot of my contemporaries. I think they really enjoy the making process and they really enjoy making the thing. I really don't. I can't stand it. I just like performing. I find it so boring to to actually. That's not true. It's also a lot of fun. But I, but for me, it's 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 yeah. The performing is a uh, the end goal, or just the goal actually. Normally, in this series of circus whispers, I can't take you as a listener to the presentation of the circus makers of a week, because you can't see it, and hearing it, well, it doesn't really make sense. But in the case of Harvey, it's different. Because since he uses language as one of his main props in the performance, I can take you with it. This really adds a different layer to the creation process of who he is. Because he needs an audience. And in this case, the audience is you. Enjoy. Based some criticism that what I'm doing is not circus. Um, and apparently that's because there's no tricks. So I'm going to do some tricks. <laughs> um, and I just want everyone to know that this bit of the show, I don't like it. It's not good. Um, it isn't in there because I want it to be in there. It's in there because some people in suits um, think that this is what it means. So um, <laughs> so basically, um, if you want to like check your phone or anything, or if you want to like go to the beat now is sort of the time to do it, um, I'll let you know when I sort of start again with the good bit. And, and also, if any of you, like, um, yeah, if anyone, like, uh, you know, at the end of the performance thinks, oh, I really liked that bit, um, just please never come and see me again. <laughs> um, I want you to know that this isn't what I'm about. It's not, um, you sort of, you don't understand my art. So um, if you, like, think this is good, like, if you want to clap or cheer or anything, just, it's not the time. Um, this is just here because it has to be there, and um, I'll get back to the proper stuff. This was the fourth episode of the second season of Circus Whispers. Please subscribe to be the first to hear the next episode. The next episode is with Jorja Lok. Thanks very much for listening. We'd love to hear what you think of these series. Drop us a line via tent.eu or message me on Insta via Mouse Maike. Circus Whispers is a production of Tent House for Contemporary Circus. Hosted, produced and edited by me, Maike van Lange. 
big word of thanks to Harvey Cobb, Rosa Bond, Benjamin Kuitsbrouwer and the team of Tent. The makers of the week in 2022 are Petra and Felix, Arend de Jonge, Jam Shenanigans, Harvey Cobb, Jorga Lok and Maria Madeira. Tent is supported by the Amsterdam Funds for the Kunsten, Dutch Performing Art Fund and Prins Bernhard Cultuur Funds. More info via tent.eu.